Okay, thanks so much for being here with us today. I'm really excited to have you both here. I'll do some introductions really quick. Um, we have Michelle Woodson with uh, Think Dignity. So thank you for being here. I'll give you each an opportunity, of course, to share a little bit about your programs and what you guys do. And, and I, I know it's a lot of great work. Um, we have Lucky Michael with uh, Alpha Project. Um, and again, thanks for being here. Um, today we're gonna talk a little bit about, or a lot about uh, homelessness in San Diego. Um, clearly it's, it's an issue here. Um, it affects a lot of people. And uh, I'm really interested to hear your perspective and learn about your experiences so that I can be educated on kind of the challenges that are out there, um, what the real story is, because you're so involved. But also a big part of today is, is getting the information and the word out there to people who may be watching or listening about what we can do to make a difference. Um, and I know that's a big part of what you guys do. Um, so my perspective is I have this kind of way of looking at people and whenever I see anybody and specifically people who are homeless or down on their luck, I always see them as a child. Um, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, Jeff Carlson, shout out to Jeff out there, but we had this discussion a while back and we all start out as these kind of innocent, perfect beings and we enter this world and who knows what kind of parents we have or surroundings or experiences that we're thrown into. But, you know, when I see someone and, and clearly they've had, whether it's they have struggles with mental illness or substance abuse or whatever it is, PTSD from being in battle and in the military. Um, I just always see that person as a, a little kid that had the whole world and life in front of them and, and they just went down this path. So. Um, I particularly have a ton of sympathy for, for these for these people that are down on their luck and struggling. Um, but I can certainly learn a lot more about how I can make a true difference and, and contribute and help these folks. So um, I'm really interested in what we're going to talk about today. But uh, why don't we get started with each of you introducing yourself and, and telling me a little bit about what you do and, and what your organization is all about. I, I guess I'll start with you, Michelle. Okay. Yeah. So my name is Michelle Woodson. I'm the executive director and managing attorney at Think Dignity. We are a local homeless advocacy agency here in San Diego. We started in about 2006 uh, by a group of professional women, mostly attorneys, who were working in the downtown area and saw an issue with homelessness and really wanted to do something about it. So initially, we were just volunteer-based. Since then, we've grown. Um, we're still very small but mighty. Um, we have a ton of different programs that are geared towards providing basic dignity to folks experiencing homelessness. So one of our biggest programs is our Transitional Storage Center in downtown San Diego, where we have about 400 bins and lockers. We allow folks to safeguard their belongings while they're transitioning off of the streets. Um, uh, our next biggest program is what we call our mobile operations of dignity. So we call them our mod squad programs and they're just that, they're mobile operations. So we take our first mobile operation is our Fresh Start Shower program. So it's a two unit mobile shower trailer that we take to different sites around the county and we provide um, all the things that you would need to take a shower. So shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, toothbrush, towels. And then we connect with other social service providers to make it like a resource hub for folks. We understand how difficult it is for folks to um, access these services. Sometimes this is the only shower that they'll have in a month. So we really want to make it worth their while. So we partner up with organizations that provide food on site, clothing, um, 
we've partnered up with Health and Human Services to have benefit specialists on site to help people apply for benefits, uh, give vaccinations, health screenings, um, pet supplies. Uh, we've even had uh, folks come out to, to provide like yoga, meditation, and music to really make it a welcoming environment. Our second mobile operation is our street boutique, which is a pop-up shop that we do once a month where we provide brand new unused undergarments, menstrual hygiene products, and gender reaffirming undergarments. And then our third mobile program is our street cafe, which is also a pop-up shop that we do twice a month, which is farmer's market style, so that we can give folks that are experiencing homelessness healthier food options that are in line with their dietary restrictions and their nutritional needs. And then, of course, our third biggest program is our legal department. Um, we have eight different legal clinics around the county where we allow folks to come in and talk to us about their legal issues. From there, we can take them on directly as a client or refer them out to an organization that works specifically in that area of law. We have a direct representation program for homeless and at-risk youth where we directly represent them in their criminal defense matters and then connect them with a social, um, an advocate who pairs them up with social services to really provide holistic support for their needs. And then of course we do uh, like impact litigation, challenging the constitutionality of local municipal ordinances that make it illegal for folks to um, participate in life-sustaining activities such as sleeping and eating. Um, so that's the bulk of the work that we do. I think Dignity it was a mouthful, but um, yeah, so th that's what we do. And as I mentioned, I'm the executive director, so I manage the legal programs and I manage the other programs as well. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That was a great explanation. You know what I, I find interesting and I'm part of my personal story, a couple years ago, which I stopped doing and I, and I really need to start doing again, is I would take like a, a Monday once a month mm -hmm. and make a bunch of, you know, sack lunches or breakfast burritos sure. or something like that. And I bought one of those wagons from Costco and would go downtown and just walk around kind of near the Civic Center right? and do all that. Um, but I learned a ton and it kind of ties into what you're saying is that in just talking with people that were out on the streets is that a lot of them had dietary restrictions. Mm -hmm. They would ask me what I had for them. And a lot of times they say, no, I don't eat that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them in just talking, cause I wanted to kind of get to know them a little bit if I was sure. down there. And a lot of them would say, I don't go into the shelters or a lot of the places cause they're dangerous right. and maybe they've been abused. So I think it's great that you have these mobile facilities that come around, almost come to them or mm -hmm. that they can use and take a shower mm -hmm. or get something to eat or do those things and not maybe be, you know, put into those situations mm -hmm. that maybe they're fearful of. Mm -hmm. um, so th it's it's really complex, mm -hmm. you know, uh, way more complex than I thought. You know, I thought in my just narrow scope that these people down on their luck, they, of course, if, if, if you're hungry and you're on the streets, you're going to eat whatever I give you. Right. And, you know, but they all have their own story. And, and it was interesting how, um, you know, I learned that when I was doing that. And it, so it makes a ton of sense what you're saying. Yeah. And if I could so. just add to that, if... Um, our organization is called Think Dignity, right? So the value of dignity and how you promote dignity with um, providing services to folks is giving them the option of choice, right? right. Of choice of where to be, um, of choice of what they're going to put on their body, what they're going to put in their body. So a lot of our um, programs, they were created by um, our Basic Dignity Coalition where we allow folks that are experiencing homelessness to talk about their needs, right? So similar to the um, street cafe, we heard of folks experiencing homelessness who said a lot of the times they were given leftover foods or foods that were not in line with their dietary 
restriction. So that's right. why we created that program, right? To give yeah. them that opportunity of choice on what they're going to put in their bodies. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the most unsuccessful <laughs> time that I went down there was when I got a, I was kind of lazy and didn't do what I needed to do to prep it. And mm-hmm. I just bought a bunch of donuts yeah. and waters. And it was amazing because they didn't want sugary stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't want, you know, they wanted stuff that was going to actually fill them up. Mm-hmm. And I think I ended up, you know, bringing a bunch of them to work because I had so many left over because people sure. were like, no, thanks, but I'll take the water. Sure. Water seemed to be a pretty valuable yep. resource for them. Certainly. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lucky, a little bit about you and your organization. So, yeah, hi, I'm Lucky Michael. I'm the program director with Alpha Project's Home Finder program. Our program, the program that I work in, specifically serves people who are experiencing homelessness and living with serious mental illness. Um, Alpha Project, for those of you who haven't heard, um, has been around for over 30 years. Um, they have multi- many programs stretching from San Diego all the way to the Oakland Bay Area. Um, services include residential treatment, substance abuse treatment. Um, housing navigation, bridge shelters, some of the shelters in downtown. We actually partner with Think Dignity on their storage center too, send a lot of clients there and refer them so that they can utilize that service, which is mm-hmm. really important. Uh, let's see. I, I, I know that you. I was reading about your project that um, there was an intentional effort to really employ, you know, get, get, get these these folks into jobs and I think that I forget what it said exactly but it was basically not about like a, a handout or pity but more about like arming them with an opportunity or putting them in a position to actually have lasting success or you know to be able to provide for themselves right and that's the goal we want people to a get off the streets and how we want them to enter into housing we know in the long run people fare well mental health wise um, spiritual health, the whole being, is by being somewhere that they can be proud of and they can call home. How do we get them there? We have to provide them resources for them to sustain that, right? So job opportunities and employment opportunities. Recently, Alpha Project, that, through the shelters, has started a program called Wheels for Change, and they pretty much give out opportunities for people to go in and clean up neighborhoods and earn a stipend for the day. And the okay. amount of pride that people have in participating in that program has been astronomical, and we're grateful for that. That's awesome. So you just mentioned one, but um, what what are the types of jobs that most of these folks will get or that are available to them? I mean, I would imagine there's somewhat of a stigma out there or it's tough for them to get in the workforce and maybe they've been on the streets for an extended period of time and don't have experience or, you know, quote unquote, a resume from, I guess, from both of you, what what are the types of jobs that you know, are available to them. Yeah, so definitely, and it depends on the person that we're talking about. There are people who are employment ready now or just underemployed, and it's as simple as helping them build up their resume, Mm -hmm. finding jobs for them, or sending them off to like one of their career centers, right? And then there are some who have not been in the workforce for a while and probably aren't work ready. So what do we need to do? We need to give you opportunities for that and start you off slow. Um, getting you accustomed to coming in on time and checking in and meeting with people. So it could be through wheels of change. It could be volunteering at the shelter. Um, We recently met with a local group that is offering job opportunities for our clients to work in the um, restaurant business. So we're preparing them for that, getting them connected to food handlers training so that they can get their food handlers card, Um, you know, all all the stuff that comes in preparing them for jobs. That's awesome. Do you, I imagine that you sometimes get close to some of these people, right? Of course. So, I, I mean, are there, I imagine there's highs and lows, right? There's some that probably are great success stories that, you know, come out the other end and, you know, are awesome that way. And there's probably some that go the other way too. 
I'd say that the best teachers I've ever had in my life, outside of my parents, of course, would be the clients that we serve. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of stories that, to this day, just rock me to my core. Whereas, for example, this particular lady, she used to come into one of the day centers and no one believed her story at the time because it just seemed so irrational and kind of like far-fetched, right? And at the time, she had a twin sister who passed away over the 163 Balboa Bridge and she was schizophrenic. So she would always come in and reference her sister and people just thought she was delusional. And then one of her biggest barriers in, t in entering housing was she needed a California state ID card. Now, so when her sister passed away, they listed the, the deceased sister on her um, death certificate. So here's a person trying to navigate herself and getting herself a brand new ID card, explaining all the time to the DMV, hey, that's not me, but she couldn't articulate herself correctly or at the time was off her medication and then would often get kicked out of the DMV, have to restart the process all over. And she was disheveled, you know, didn't present very well, and people would just kind of dismiss her. So she came in, I was like, there, there has to be a little bit more to this. So I started digging in. Thankfully, the DMV sent down an investigator who looked into it, found out that everything she said was true. So I think there's so much to be wow. said about believing in people and trusting them when they're saying, I need help, here's the why. Mm -hmm. Right. As it rational, even if we don't understand or we can't, you know, particularly empathize or, you know, we don't even necessarily have to investigate all their story, but just believing people in their story and what they're sure. asking us for. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I was a kid, I had a profound experience where I remember we were in a Carl's Jr. And there was a guy in there and he was clearly homeless and he was kind of half asleep or, I, you know, I, I don't know, but he was not in good shape. And <clears throat> my dad bought him a hamburger and gave him a few bucks and, and, and I remember asking him and I'm like dad why'd you do that you know we don't know that guy and he said you know I used to you know look at them and kind of judge him or whatever but he goes you know at the end of the day it doesn't really matter to me what kind of got them there or what they're showing the bottom line is they need help and you know as another human being to be able to help someone else and it's like not getting stuck I think a lot of people get stuck in this like do something with yourself and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know what I mean right. and this lack of empathy and when really when it comes down to it it's we all need help at some point and, and, these, you pe never and know. these people need a lift right yeah. and right. you never know who can who can find themselves in that situation right mm -hmm. no one's born asking for serious mental illness no one says well one day I'd like to wake up and have schizophrenia and be disconnected with my family or not bathe or be gravely ill for a long time and kind of mm -hmm. figuring out a way to avoid police interaction and where mm -hmm. do I go at night? I don't trust people. Where can I sleep? People aren't right. accepting of me, right? So oftentimes it's not. No one really wants to be homeless. Nobody wants sure. to be homeless. Right. Everybody sure. wants to live with dignity right. and have a safe place to be, but it's, it, there's a lot of challenges that come with that and I think it takes all of us as a community to come together, both provider, service providers, lawyers, entities such as yourselves, people who just live in the community and say, I, I'm from this town and I don't like seeing what's going on. These are my neighbors. What can I do to get involved? Mm -hmm. right. it, takes, it, takes, it truly takes a village. So what, I guess on that note, what would be your suggestions to people out there listening or watching this? You know, this is that time of year, right? It's near Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. People are more conscious. They're more open. Um, which is a lot to do with why we're having this right now because hopefully people are more open and they're willing to kind of step outside their comfort zone and make a difference. What would be your suggestion to people out there who maybe don't do this full time like you guys do but want to, to make a difference? 
I think what's really important to note is that if folks are trying to make a difference, right, is to really understand what's going on. And I think this is part of the first solution, right? I think in San Diego, we've been dealing with homelessness for such a long time. We're the fourth largest homeless population in the nation, right? And a lot of times people have these ideas that it's because it's easier to be homeless in San Diego, when that's in fact not true, right? That 78% of the folks that are homeless in San Diego identify being homeless while living in San Diego. So they're either San Diego natives or they moved here and became homeless while living in San Diego, right? And so uh, certainly there's um, the issue of mental illness, there's the issue of substance abuse, but not disproportionately more than the average population. Really? Right? And so I think there's this common misconception about what homelessness looks like and the stigma behind homelessness, right? It's because you remember that one interaction that you had with somebody who was on the street corner who was exhibiting signs of mental illness, right? But you don't identify the families that are experiencing homelessness in their car that you probably walk by every single day and wouldn't have even acknowledged that, right? So I think a lot of what we have to do in San Diego is really reshaping this narrative of what homelessness looks like. Um, A large portion of our population that's experiencing homelessness are youth um, and youth that are unaccompanied, right? So I mentioned a little bit earlier about how I I manage the Homeless Youth Legal and Advocacy Project. I think that if you saw any of the clients that I represented, you would not have automatically assumed that they were homeless, right? A lot of folks are really resourceful. They're trying to fit in. They understand the the stigma that surrounds the idea of homelessness, right? So they don't want to immediately identify with that. And so, like like I mentioned, a large part of what we have to do is really shape that narrative because we're in an anti-homeless climate here in San Diego. People have compassion fatigue for so many things going on in the world right now, right? Um, And a lot of the times people don't see how this is directly connected to them and their communities. So we've got to change that narrative. We've got to reshape what homelessness looks like, what it feels like. If I could share one story about um, something that really impacted me in my work when I first started working with Think Dignity um, just about two and a half years ago. You know, I was very social justice minded, an attorney ready to change the world one client at a time, right? Um, and so I, I, I would wear a suit everywhere I went. Uh, <laughs> I, I was meeting with a client who I tried to meet with on four separate occasions and each time he didn't show up for the appointment. He finally gave me a call and he said that he was ready to meet near a park where he was staying at. And when I when I met him at the park, I asked him, do you have the bank statements that I had been requesting? And he didn't have them. So I asked him why not? And he tells me it's because he had he didn't have a printer to print them. And I'm like, of course, he doesn't have a printer. So I asked him if he went down to the bank to get the bank statements, they could print it for him. He tells me they're going to charge him three dollars and he doesn't have three dollars. Wow. So I asked him. I look up the nearest bank, I see that it's two blocks down the street, so I ask him, why don't we walk there together and I'll pay for the fee? And he tells me that he can't walk because he's not feeling well. And when I ask him why not, he tells me it's because his stomach is burning in pain because he can't remember the last time he ate. I luckily had... I luckily had a sandwich in my bag and I gave it over to him and I noticed that he didn't eat it right away. Fun fact about myself, I really love mustard, so there was so much mustard on this, I thought, <laughs> nobody likes mustard as much as I do. It's probably because the mustard is oozing out of the sandwich. So I ask him, is it because of the mustard? And he tells me, no, it's because he wants to split it with his friend, who also had not eaten anything in days. I later found out that the reason he didn't make our four previous appointments was because he was literally homeless, 19 years old, literally homeless, had nowhere to be at night, and was too afraid to sleep. So he would walk all night long. 
and in the morning he would sneak into his friend's apartment who was living in a transitional housing unit you're not allowed to have anybody over but he would sneak in to get a couple of hours of sleep during the day um, and by the time he woke up tried to get anywhere um, most things were getting ready to close so he couldn't get a lot of things done and that really shaped the way that I saw myself as both an attorney and an advocate for this population right I realized then that it wasn't just my law degree that was going to make me change the world, right? It's your compassion for folks that are um, down and out, right? And really understanding that a lot of the times, especially with the legal issues, people think, well, they should have just dealt with their legal issues, right? But it's if your basic needs are not being met, your first priority isn't showing up to court for a ticket for hopping the trolley without paying a fare. Yeah, that's spot on. So your first... first, um, line of thinking is where am I going to find shelter? Where am I going to find my next meal? How am I going to get hygiene products? Where am I going to use the restroom? Where, where can, can I, I le- get some I water? Stuff? Where can I leave my stuff? Right. Right. And so I think that we really need to understand this like holistically, right? Understand the causes of homelessness, right? That we live in San Diego where the cost of living is really high and wages are remaining stagnant. That a lot of folks are experiencing interpersonal violence and don't get access to the resources that they need. Sure, there are people with mental illness and substance abuse, but sometimes those start after homelessness, right? We don't talk about the mental illness that begins because of experiencing homelessness, the amount of folks experiencing PTSD because they are living in homelessness, right? We don't talk about the people that begin using substances because it's easier to cope with homelessness after the fact, right? Um, And so that it's not just the cause of homelessness, that it's also an effect. So how do we front load the resources to make sure that we can fill those gaps before people fall through the cracks so i think so i think that takes a lot of understanding of the issues right you need to be very open-minded to finding the solutions that are going to be most effective and there's not one solution that fits all we've got to make sure that we are creating solutions that are in line with um, various needs, right? And I think a lot of the times we, we think that there's this one size fits all and this is the solution and this is how we fix it, right? So I think just generally people need to be more open-minded, um, be willing to learn and educate themselves, be willing to um, listen to things like this, right? Like opening up a space sure. so that we can help to change that narrative so people get a better understanding. And I think that's certainly the first step. And if you look throughout history when there has been um real social change it's always been when people felt comfortable enough having the uncomfortable conversations of what change looks like right right so no those are great points when i before i got into this business i was in education and i was a teacher mm-hmm. and i taught in a title one school down in chula vista um and one of the things that i learned from a great mentor i had who was my principal at the time was you know no kid's going to care about algebra or how to write a, a complete sentence if they haven't eaten mm-hmm. or you know they don't think they're going to be safe when they get home and when you send them home with homework and they go home and they're by themselves and they live in an apartment building where someone's selling drugs in the room next door and they're trying to look after their little sister mm-hmm. and put food on the table for their siblings right and they're 10 mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then we're expecting them to care about their vocabulary assignment for the night, right? So it's kind of in line with that same thing is Mm -hmm. that it starts with understanding the individual and caring about them and having the compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding the situation before you can really put action into place. So that that makes a ton of sense to me. Mm -hmm. 
How about you? What would you? What would be your advice to people out there right now who are kind of like, hey, I, I want to get involved? I pretty much everything she just said. In addition to that, I mean, you're right. This is the holiday season where everybody wants to get really involved. Right. Hopefully, stay intentional with that and mm-hmm. carry that through for the remainder of the time, even outside of holiday season. But as far as specifically, like, what can people get involved in? What can they do? Right. Um, I often refer people to volunteer for something called We All Count. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you guys are familiar with that. Uh, it's the annual census of those experiencing homelessness. So you pretty much go out there and you actually count out how many people are living on the streets. That data is critical for our community. It helps with funding streams Mm -hmm. coming down to our city. Um, So that occurs every January, end of January. Mm -hmm. And if any of your listeners or yourselves want to volunteer, it's through Regional Task Force on the Homeless, and it's rtfh.org. Volunteer that way just to get a sense of who is homeless in our community. Mm -hmm. And it's regional, so it could be wherever you're living. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be downtown specific. It could be North County. It could be South County. It could be Mm -hmm. East. And you could just sign up through them and just volunteer. And, wh- and what does that entail? So you, do you just kind of walk around? They'll do a training video with you, with and they'll tell you. And, mm-hmm, and you just can't. I think now they've, um, they're going to be using like an app. Um, to oh, kind of streamline the sense. process, which is great. I think last year was a pretty actually, archaic like summary for me. I'm like, they walk around the clipboard. And we, we did. Use it. I was going to say that. Yeah, we actually, that was, we yeah. did. That was yes. like last year. Yeah, we did like last it year for yes. a long time, <laughs> like mm-hmm. this January. Right. right. <laughs> but um, they're trying to think of innovative, innovative ways to like try and streamline the process and get more people involved. So that's one way to um, mm-hmm. volunteer. The other way, obviously, there's a lot of bridge shelters and shelters in our community. Going sure. in, volunteering, bringing food down to the shelters sitting with the people, providing socialization activities. Mm -hmm. You can even come to the shelter and play chess with people or drop off hygiene kits Mm -hmm. or items or socks or just visit with them. People need that human-to-human connection, and it's nice to Mm -hmm. see folks from outside just the shelter and the staff environment coming in and showing sincerity and that, hey, we really care about you are visible to us. Mm -hmm. You are our neighbors. We, We are compassionate. We are here to collectively serve you. Right. That's great advice. I'm I'm interested in the just the the focus or the youth homeless people that are out there what do you have any information in regards to how most of them end up homeless Mm -hmm. I mean it's got to start with family you know some kind Mm -hmm. of disagreement Mm -hmm. or you know abandonment or something like that but in your experience in working with them has there been like a a common thread yeah it's youth homeless people I think that a, a lot of the youth that I've directly represented, it's been a, a variety of things. A lot of them have been victims of um, interpersonal violence, so we're escaping abusive um, homes. Um, a lot of them have are identify as LGBTQ youth, um, so you know, being ostracized for their fi- from their families after coming out, um, and, and so. Yes, there's also you know some substance abuse. Some of them have aged out of foster care. And so there's that gap, right? When somebody is aged out of foster care, they immediately immediately get cut off from the resources that were available to them, and they weren't really given the opportunity to um, to maintain themselves after that. And so they fall through the cracks. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things, and and of course, the way that we're criminalizing being homeless here in San Diego has been really, really detrimental to um, it, it provide it creates barriers for folks accessing resources, right? Like once somebody has a criminal record, they now have limited access to subsidized housing. They have limited access to um, financial aid to get into school. They have limited employment opportunities. They can't access um, financial support for um, um, from the county, right? Wow. Um, 
And so that's what we're seeing. And a lot of the ways that folks are being criminalized here in San Diego are for life-sustaining activities, right? So they can't sleep on the street. They can't sleep in their vehicle. They can't sleep on the sidewalk, right? These are not these are victimless crimes, and these are just um, crimes of poverty, right? That it's because they have lack of access to resources that they are exhibiting this behavior. And rather than criminalizing them for that, which only perpetuates poverty because now they're cycled into the criminal justice system, right? We should be connecting them to the resources that they need so that we don't further entrench them into chronic homelessness. Right. Is there an app or some kind of website that you guys have that would let homeless people know or people in general know where your kind of mobile yeah um, efforts are we don't have time sure we don't have an app we should (laughs) (laughs) but we do have a website and on it's thinkdignity.org and on our website we have a public calendar that's live so it shows um all of our shower locations and then with our pop-up shops for our street boutique and our street cafe um we we input the information as soon as we know where we're going to be because they're pop-up shops so we're different at different sites around the county but the 10 shower locations are permanent sites so the Those are up on our calendar. We also have a list of our um, legal clinics around the county. So folks have legal issues and we also have call in hours every Thursday evening so people can call and speak directly to an attorney. Okay. Yeah. And where's the storage facility located? It's on 16th Street. I believe it's 252 16th Street in downtown San Diego. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's people just kind of will bring whatever they have, their backpacks, their blankets, their belongings and, yeah. and they can just store them there yeah and they're sentimental items right i think a lot of the times people forget about that like imagine there's already the stigma on homelessness right now imagine having to carry everything on your back every single place you go it prevents them from like going to employment opportunities right because of the stigma that's associated it prevents them from going to their doctor's appointments from getting on public transportation because there's a limit on how many bags you can carry on the trolley right um, so this storage facility, it allows folks to store their belongings so they can take the next step in, in their lives, right? And so it's whatever they can fit. There's no time restriction on how long they can use our storage facility. Okay. That's one important thing that we are really proud to, to provide is because a lot of the programs have a time limit, right? Like you've got six months to, to get it together. And so we found that if you remove that barrier, if you remove that time restriction, people um, don't feel that that weight, right, of their time running out. And so people are more than happy to transition their storage locker or their bin to the next person in need as soon as they don't need it anymore. And so so currently we have a wait list, but the way our wait list works is a little bit different. If you physically go down to the storage facility and check in more, you get bumped up on the wait list because it shows like more of a need for you and you can get in more quickly that way. That's great. That's awesome. It's it's the little things, right? Mm -hmm. Those are Mm -hmm. are big things. How many um, storage units are there? 400. And there's a wait list. What does that tell us, right? There's about 8,000 people experiencing homeless in our county. There's still a wait list, and mm-hmm. they have 400 mm-hmm. bins or whatnot available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even with shelters, 8,000 people are experiencing homelessness. We have about three big shelters and um, I think a couple other uh, mm-hmm. women's shelters. So the need is great, and there's simply not enough beds. Right. So back to her point, if you're, what would you call it, crime of life-sustaining life-sustaining activities where can you possibly go if there's no beds available there's no place for you to leave your belongings now you have a criminal and now you have a criminal where can you go Mm -hmm. right like where can you be so where they're gonna be is in our backyards they're gonna Mm -hmm. be in our canyons they're gonna be in our neighborhoods which is what we're seeing Mm -hmm. and a lot of residents um 
uh, folks in the community don't want to see people camping out in front of their front yard, sure. right. which is very sure. valid. It's very fair. I don't want anyone urinating on the sidewalk mm-hmm. or if I'm taking my kids to school in the morning, right. seeing all like the defecation and things like that, then we need to think bigger than that. Mm-hmm. What can we do to practically mm-hmm. um, address the issue? One of the biggest challenges that we have is just, just lack of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in San Diego. I don't know if you guys are native yep. San Diegans. Yep. And I've seen wow. what the, mm-hmm. what's happened with rent in San Diego is out of control. People who are working can't even afford to live here. Mm-hmm. I have coworkers who are doubling up with roommates, and they have their college graduated, have full time mm-hmm. jobs, have benefits, mm-hmm. still can't afford to live here. Now let's just walk through like what it looks like for people that we're serving. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. a lot of them are living on fixed, limited fixed incomes, so uh, social security benefits or retirement, and let's say they get about nine hundred dollars a month. The average one bedroom in San Diego is about fourteen hundred dollars a month. If you're lucky enough that you get subsidized because you qualify for that subsidy, say like a Section 8 voucher, things mm-hmm. like that, or you meet criteria for that, then you pay 30% of your rent. That could be sustainable. What about everybody else? Where mm-hmm. do they go? Right. Where can they possibly live? Mm-hmm. So for your listeners, a good solution around that is when you're hearing um, affordable housing complexes being proposed to be built in your backyard or in your neighborhoods, not hitting us up with that nimbyism. Right. That's a critical one, right? Like people don't want... To see homelessness in their community, then they have to, the behaviors and the attitudes around it have to change. Mm -hmm. We have to shift out of that thinking. We have to, if anything, promote and ask for more affordable Mm -hmm. housings in our neighborhood so we can truly tackle and address the issue. Right. Are there homeless shelters and options for homeless people in just about every community? Like, in other words, like, again, in my my ignorant thinking, it's like, I think downtown, right? I think the beach. I think these area where there's there's more of them, and mm-hmm. I know of places there are, but are there places in Poway and you know Carlsbad and these other areas that there that are a couple mm-hmm. shelters in the North County area. They're not big enough. There's rotational right. shelters as well. There's simply the need is great. There's not enough. That's the reality. Now, depending on who you ask that question, you'll probably right. get a different answer. But the reality is right. just, there's just not enough. Um, a couple of years ago, we didn't even have uh, the bridge shelter program that Alpha, Alpha operates. And we saw what that looked like in downtown. Mm-hmm. I mean, downtown in, in general is re- really concentrated mm-hmm. where a lot of homeless people tend to, you know, hang around or just camp out. And the reason behind that makes sense is proximity to food, right. shower, clothing, your basic mm-hmm. needs that you that you have, right? right. So I, if I camp out... Um, in La Mesa, but mm-hmm. I got to go all the way to downtown to put my stuff into storage mm-hmm. or um, get food or do my laundry. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense for me. And what if I don't have best pass? What if mm-hmm. I don't have an income? So it makes sense why a lot of them tend to congregate in that mm-hmm. neighborhood. Right. Yeah, that downtown is in, in East Village in particular is right. like the hub of homeless serving agency. So that's why we see a large concentration of folks experiencing homelessness in downtown. There are um, populations of homelessness around the county generally and there's just not enough resources in all the other cities to to provide um, for the folks experiencing homelessness which is why you see a large concentration in downtown so are there any um, solutions or plans or discussions taking place um, like civilly you know with the municipalities that are actually focused on finding a solution I mean outside of building more shelters and all that kind of stuff but like you know you talked about crimes you know where people are hey you're sleeping on the sidewalk you're sleeping Mm -hmm. on the street and they're getting tickets they're getting arrested and things like that as opposed to constantly just you know disciplining them or punishing Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. for those activities is there any effort right now 
on on part of the government to actually mm-hmm. find a like mm-hmm. lasting solution. Okay. There's so, been a lot. Do you want to? I was going to mention that the city. Um, at City Council, there was just proposed a community action plan on how to address homelessness in San Diego. So we had okay. some folks from HUD come in and look at homelessness. They interviewed a ton of service providers, folks experiencing homelessness, to really see where the gaps are and what we're doing and what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, what we can do better, right? And so they just revealed this plan um, just a couple of weeks ago now, right? They um, And so the hope is that we can really implement this plan. The issue is that San Diego has had a lot of plans. Right. Um, And how do we implement those plans and how do we really make a concerted effort throughout the county? Right. We have all these municipalities that work in silos and that's not beneficial to the county as a whole. We've got to make sure that whatever plan we put in place is implemented. Right. And that there's somebody that's going to be held responsible that if for if this plan is not implemented. And that's what we don't have currently. Right. Is um, somebody to make sure like or one entity to make sure that this is going to happen. Some of the things in the plan include um, really uh, using the housing first model. Right. So that is the importance of permanent supportive housing and how that's the crux of ending chronic homelessness. Right. Is you give someone a stable place to live and the other things will follow. Right. All of the programs that need to be associated with that. But also, on the other hand, is really decriminalization. These are the two key things that we've seen for um, cities across the nation that have really successfully um, decreased their homeless population is when they've provided housing first with low barrier or no barrier entry to services and housing and also decriminalization where they have they have decriminalized things that were um, life-sustaining activities that they used to criminalize, right? And so um, in this plan, some of these things are identified. So hopefully we can move forward in, in, in a way that um, everyone's on the same page in a concerted effort to really find effective long-term solutions, right? We don't need any more temporary fixes. We've seen this for a decade now, that it doesn't work, right? That these temporary fixes only hide the band, only put a Band-Aid over the wound and hide the issue for a little while. But what happens is we end up spending way more money in the long run, right? Because we didn't correctly address the issue in, in the beginning. So we are scrambling to fix what was broken um, instead of really you know, taking the time and doing the meaningful research, right, and being purposeful in how we implement these plans forward. Right. Yeah. Agree. I'm, I'm going to ask a question that may go against the grain or make the, the hair stand up on the back of your neck, but mm-hmm. do you think this is a, an issue that has a solution? Do you, Because it almost seems like even if everyone's treated and there are options and you know, we have viable solutions for it, that there's always going to be a need, like they're always going to be more coming in. You get, you get what mm-hmm. I mean? There's always going to be the youth that aren't supported, that are struggling, that end up, you know, on the streets. There's always mm-hmm. going to be the, the problems that contribute to homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost think that's part of the human condition, mm-hmm. right? So I guess... I'm a, I, like again. I'm asking a question that because it's probably like part of your ethos mm-hmm. that that we that we do find a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'll just kind of throw yeah, that out there. Yeah, I certainly think that just like with any other issue, right? There's no way that you can solve a hundred percent of the problem, right? right. There are going to be people that are experiencing homelessness, but do I think that we can make a substantial impact? Yes. Do I think that we can substantially reduce homelessness? Yes. Right. 
And I think, I think that we really have to look at this as a systematic failure, too. If we look at the issue of homelessness, it's really the end result of systematic failures. So the same populations that have been historically marginalized and oppressed are the same populations that are disproportionately affected in homelessness, right? So we've really got to take a look at the systems that are in place as well. And I think that if we do that, if we take a holistic approach to addressing the the needs of the people, really having folks experiencing homelessness at the table to tell us what is it that you need, right? A lot of the times, especially as service providers, we're like, this is what you need and here's how you're going to fix all your problems, right? And we found that that's unsuccessful. So if we're going to move forward with a plan that's going to be effective and long-term, we've got to make sure that people experiencing homelessness have a seat at the table in making those decisions, right? That we know that people closest to the pain have the solutions, right? This is what they live. This is what they experience. They know what resources they need. They know what they would need to um, help to maintain stability in their lives, right? So if we make sure that that's in place as well, I think that we can really, really make an impact um, and and really change the way that we've been looking at the issues, right? And I think that's going to make a big difference. So do I think that homelessness will be eliminated 100%? Probably not, right? We're going to have some folks experiencing homelessness. We're certainly going to have folks experiencing substance abuse or mental illness. We're going to have youth that have to run away from home because of the trauma and the abuse that's happening there. That's going to happen, right? But I think that if we're very mindful, we can make a substantial impact if we um, really figure out the best ways to move forward. Right. Yeah, I strongly agree. Um, yeah, I think you've touched on everything. I do think that it's we can be a little bit more solution oriented than we've mm-hmm. been in the past. Mm-hmm. I think there is um, civic momentum that's going yeah. on now, better than it has been for a very I long time. I certainly agree. In our mm-hmm. community, we have strong leadership in place that are finally open and having real dialogue about the issues and taking into consideration and inviting people to the table, mm-hmm. be it service provider, um, nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, corporations, neighborhood groups, mm-hmm. um, and coming together and saying, what can we do together to address this issue? And that's, right. the, that's the proper approach. Do I think that we can practically address this in a reasonable amount of time? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are Californians, and which the, the, uh, some of the stats that she threw out earlier, 70% of the people that were interviewed in those point in time counts indicated that they were homeless here in our community mm-hmm. before. Like they lived here before they became homeless, right? Mm-hmm. And this is California, right. fifth largest mm-hmm. economy in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Can we address right. this in practically? Of course right. we can. Mm-hmm. In the world. Yeah. And we're talking 8,000 people mm-hmm. in our community. Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think part of me was, part of that question was being devil's advocate because it was going back for me to, I think a lot of skeptics and cynics mm-hmm. look at it from from that standpoint of, you know, well, they just need to fix it or do something different mm-hmm. or, you know, we're trying to solve a problem. It's not on my responsibility to do that. But I almost look at it instead of the issue of homelessness, more like, you know, dignity, mm-hmm. right? Looking at like a person's life, right? And not really diving too deep into, I mean, I, thankfully you guys do that. And there's organizations that are really l- looking to make a, a lasting difference mm-hmm. in getting into the systemic problems. But for me, I know that if I know if today I run into somebody who needs a lift and I give it to them, whatever that looks like, you know, if everybody kind of had that approach, then that's just mm-hmm. one more step in the right direction. And you're affecting a life and it's another human being and having that empathy, I think, is like you said, understanding the problem and looking at people like people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think I think is a big first step. 
Yeah, and, and to touch on earlier what she was talking about with decriminalization, um, I've worked with some officers in our community in the past, and I'll tell you, a lot of them want to want to help. Oftentimes, they're deployed to address those <coughs> issues by complaints, mm-hmm. right? So officers in general, they don't really want to go out there and like have have those conversations with homeless people. They're aware of the issue. They're aware that there's lack of beds and things like that. Is it their responsibility to become social workers? I mean, now our city does have a great hot team in place, right? The homeless outreach team, they come out, they have social workers with them. They try their best to address the issue, but it's not it's not a legal issue. Being poor is not, it's not illegal to be poor, right? right? Addressing the root causes of poverty is a responsibility mm-hmm. that we collectively share. Officers sure. want to take the phone call where they have to like mm-hmm. resuscitate a baby or stop a burglar. Right. That's what they signed up for. They didn't sign up to go, you know, ticket people endlessly mm-hmm. and they don't even themselves see it as a solution, but it's complaint driven. Mm-hmm. And we have to really take a look at all of our behaviors and our attitudes and our belief systems about the people that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to be involved. It cannot be one entity. Oftentimes, as service providers, we are looked at as like, well, here's a problem. What are you going to sure. do to address it? You guys are the expert in the room. Right. 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 But this is, it touches everyone. It touches everyone in our community. Yeah. And I right. think that we have this notion that folks that are housed, right, have are entitled to the streets, but the folks that are living on the streets are not entitled to a home. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do we... There's a balance there, right? Yeah. Like, of course, like you were mentioning, I don't want people sleeping, uh, on, you know, in the front of my house or uh, urinating in public. But I also understand that there are not enough public restrooms exactly. for folks to use, mm-hmm. right? That those have been um, shut down, that businesses don't allow folks you, who are experiencing homelessness to come in to, to use their restrooms. And to, to kind of double back on, like, the policing issue, right? If I can give an example, I had a client who kept getting ticketed for unauthorized encroachment. So that's basically just like impeding the right away on the sidewalk that her things her belongings were on the sidewalk um so when we talk about tickets a lot of times we think oh it's just an infraction it's like a traffic ticket right but this ticket is actually a misdemeanor so she had multiple tickets for unauthorized encroachment so she was on probation for three years on three separate probations as part of her probation they in uh they put into place a stay away order which is very similar to um, a restraining order, but in the criminal context, right? So a stay-away order prevents you from accessing a certain area. As part of her probation, she was prevented from accessing the entirety of the downtown area, which we talked earlier about how that's the hub of homeless-serving agencies, right? She was eight months pregnant, got into shelter at one of the shelters in downtown, but couldn't access it because of the stay-away order. So how counterintuitive is that? Right, none of that makes sense at all. That you are ticketing her because she's sleeping on the sidewalk, but now she has housing and can't access it because you've prevented her from accessing that area. So I went to court and we challenged this, right? We challenged how counterproductive this is, right? That it literally makes no sense. Um, And the city went tooth and nail against me. Really? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so once it, once it became less of like a number or a situation or just kind of following rank and file with mm-hmm. l- the policy, mm-hmm. when it became the spirit of the law versus the letter of the mm-hmm. law, they still dug right. their heels in. Right. Wow. So tooth and nail against me. Luckily, we were successful, right? And so that she got access to that housing. But this is what happens, right? This is how you perpetuate poverty. So now she's on probation for three different things if, you know, uh, an, an attorney hadn't stepped in to get her off probation for those certain things, right? She she would still be on probation. For, these don't run um, concurrently, right? They run consecutively. And so that, that really 
prevents her accessing from accessing a lot of things, right? At the time, she, she used to be an LVN, lost her job, but couldn't get her license back because she had a criminal record. Um, you may have a warrant for your arrest for not showing up into court, right? And that prevents you from accessing all of these services that are available to you. And so, and in your, and you know, you mentioned a lot of this is complaint driven, right? That's a lot of the what the San Diego Police Department has said is that they respond to calls because they're complaint driven, right? So that's why it's really important to really change that narrative so people yeah. understand what's going on, right? People don't want to use a restroom near your home, right? There's right. a lack of access to restrooms, right? People don't want to sleep near your business, there's nowhere else for them to go. Right. And so if we really identify the root causes, we can help to promote the solutions that would help alleviate those um, alleviate both um, the access to resources. Right. Like provide access to resources to the folks that need it, but alleviate some of the the issues that the community is having. Right. And so it's a win win. And so I think that's what we really have to do is is view this as a collective issue. Right. That if we right. all get together and and there's power in numbers. Right. There's power in um, capacity building in our community. And if we really understand what's going on, um, it's beneficial to everyone. Right. So. It's interesting because there's every time the ballots come around or it's voting time, there's so many initiatives that are asking for so much money. You know, and you'd think there'd be something on there to to find a meaningful solution for for homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, I'm I can see some kind of like urban type, you know, whether you call it a village or mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, and you don't want to say, hey, they all go there. I mean, that's right, not right, dignity right. either. Right? right. But I don't know what the perfect solution is. But you would think yeah. with the type of space that's available mm-hmm. that we'd be able to come up with something that or different housing options. I was right. going to say there should be a mix of housing options. There should be a mix of housing options. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a one size fits all exactly. or, you know, there's some great efforts now that um, uh, around surrounding around um, modular homes and tiny homes. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. But there's the land use issue, right? Mm-hmm. Where would we where, where can we develop that at? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean we I we spoke to at Alpha Project a couple of weeks ago, we spoke with a local group, the same group that was gonna potentially hire some of our clients. And the the guy simply asked how many people are homeless in San Diego? And he's a Japanese businessman. I said about a little over eight thousand. He's like, what if I built today? If I promised to build you nine thousand um, tiny homes. Where can I? Where can I develop that? Where can I put that? I'm like, that's a great question. That's when mm-hmm. you take to the city. I right. can't answer that. But mm-hmm. there's momentum. There's people mm-hmm. who want to help. We just all have to jump in together mm-hmm. and 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 back those approaches, mm-hmm. right? Right. No, Civically. that's great. Are there kind of proven solutions or things that are outside the box like that in other metro areas? That like, are there certain kind of groundbreaking or you know thought leading? cities that have kind of done those types of things are you aware of any of those go ahead um i believe there is a couple like tiny homes community outside of san diego outside of california and they've been successful the thing is at the end of the day we just simply don't have enough homes for people to live in that's the reality of it we have less than three percent vacancy rate in our county and as explained earlier about 1400 for a one-bedroom apartment most of the folks we're talking about are either 
um, underemployed or limit, li living on like SSI, right? Mm -hmm. Where right. can they go? There's not enough bridge shelters. There's clearly not enough storage. Mm -hmm. The need is great. What can we do? We have to think outside the box. We are compelled to. We have no other choice. Mm -hmm. Right. And everybody needs to be involved. I cannot underscore that enough. Yeah. Right. And I think the, the cities across the nation that have been really successful in um, addressing their homelessness crisis are the cities that have really um, implemented the housing first model, mm -hmm. right? So we talk about that a lot, and and that's because a lot of the programs that that are currently existing in San Diego, there's a lot of barriers to entry, right? And so if if I can give an example, so our homeless youth legal and advocacy project, the reason we started that program is because initially we used to just do um, legal clinics. So we had a legal clinic at one of the local youth drop-in centers here. A young man came in and he talked to us about how he had these legal issues but couldn't find access to resources because he didn't do drugs, he didn't drink alcohol, he wasn't in foster care, he didn't have any children, but he was homeless and he was a youth and that wasn't enough, right? right. And so that's what we're seeing with a lot of these programs. You have to meet this criteria as if ho being homeless is not enough of, um, of a need, right? Uh, maybe you have to have a severe mental illness. Maybe you have to have aged out of foster care. Maybe you have to have been a veteran, right? There are all these restrictions on how to access these resources. And there's so many people that fall through the gaps. So they can't find the right program that fits their needs, right? Or what about the folks that are just experiencing homelessness and don't have all these other um, things on their plate, right? Like how do you provide access to those resources? Right. So when we talk about the housing first model, um, that's what it utilizes. It utilizes the housing first, right? That you house someone first, and then the programs, there's no, there's yeah, low barriers nice. to mm -hmm. entry, low barrier or no barrier to entry so that you provide the services that people need, regardless of what the need is, right? And that it's individualized, right? It's not like one big program to, to solve everyone's issues because we, we know that everyone has different needs and spe specific to their um, story and their experience, right? So I think that's what's been really successful across the nation. Um, and I think that's the kind of mentality that we need to implement right. here in San Diego as well. And, and luckily, I mean, we've made some great strides yeah. towards that. In the last, like, six years, we've implemented a common assessment tool called the VI Spit Out, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much just measures people's vulnerability and likelihood to die out on the streets, right? So those folks then get prioritized and plugged into Housing First, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And then the principles of Housing First, to touch on that a little bit further, is it's rooted in um, harm reduction, right? Mm -hmm. Like reducing as much harms to the individual as possible. If someone's um, living with a substance use disorder and is you know, let's say struggling with alcohol addiction, right? Oftentimes, latent stage alcoholism, what does that look like? You're, you're going in and out of the emergency room system often. Are you passed out on the sidewalk? Somebody calls ambulance for you and gets you a ride. That recurrent that recurrence into the hospital costs taxpayers lots of money. So it took us a while to get there, but we finally realized, hey, what if we just give Joe a house and get them connected with social mm -hmm. services, what would happen then? And the numbers were alarming. Mm -hmm. The amount of times that the people were going back to hospitals reduced significantly, and the amount of dollars that it cost to house that person mm -hmm. was pennies compared. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Is there any, is there any, and, and there's no right or wrong answer to this, is there any accountability for the people that are provided housing if it's such a limited resource? Um, obviously, you said you prioritize them almost like triage, where you're going to bring in the, the most critical people and mm -hmm. give them housing first, which makes sense. But is there any requirement of them to, you know, whether it's staying clean and sober or it's, you know, get interviewing or getting a resume together or making steps towards mm -hmm. goals? 
So there's different interventions Mm -hmm. around, right? So for example, what I just described is something called like permanent supportive housing, right? Those are individuals with high acuity, higher needs. Mm -hmm. And then there is another intervention called rapid rehousing. So I always um, Mm -hmm. liken it to like um, learning how to ride a bike for the first time, right? So perhaps in the beginning, we'll pay your uh, first month's rent, your deposit, brief rental assistance for like four or five months until you can like pedal on your own. Right? right, meaning we get Makes you a sense. job or something like that. So that's one intervention. Permanent supportive housing is another one. Prevention mm-hmm. is a new one, which finally, thankfully, we have money coming into our city from the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty much, say, like she was living in housing, but she fell back out, or, or sorry, she was living in housing, but she lost her job, and she just needs rental assistance for two or three mm-hmm. months to prevent her to go re-entering that system. Mm-hmm. Funds are available now for okay. that. So there's different intervention right. um, That makes methods. sense. Mm-hmm. Focusing on the individual and maybe some of their health needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no one size fits all because sure. we're all people, right? Mm-hmm. It's a microcosm right. of our greater community. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes a ton of sense. So what is uh, what do the next couple of months look like for you guys? I, I started by saying you guys have to be pretty busy, <laughs> so tons of outreach. Lots of outreach, lots of fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of holiday activities at the shelters for mm-hmm. uh, the residents. Um, there, we all, Alpha Project also oversees Cortez Hill Family Center. So there's a lot of like families and youth and children that live there. So our CEO, uh, Bob McRoy, takes the time to bring the kids like toys and That's food awesome. and creating a sense of belonging and family. So a lot of activities like that. That's really cool. Yeah, we have very similar activities. So uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of fundraising events, especially for Giving Tuesday, right? We have an online donation campaign for Giving Tuesday. We also have um, every year, twice a year during the summer months and the winter months, we have our what's called our survival supply distribution, where we gather a ton of supplies and give it to folks experiencing homelessness. So during the summer months, we provide like sunscreen, sunglasses, hats, um, food, um, clothing, things like that, pet supplies, um, veterinary assistance. And then during the winter months, we provide like warmer clothing, um, sleeping bags, of course, food still, um, hygiene items. And that's our winter survival distribution is coming up, I believe it's Sunday, um, December 8th. And so folks would like to volunteer for that if they'd like to help to collect items for us we usually serve about 300 people on that day um they can always do that by signing up on our website and it's a really um, impactful way to give back i know last year during the winter um, survival distribution i had instead of giving christmas gifts to our kids we did a day of service and so they the kids um, went through my kids (laughs) went through their um, toy supply and they donated a ton of toys and books um, for the winter survival distribution. And then they came with me to distribute that to, to folks experiencing homelessness. And I think it was a really powerful experience for my family and specifically for my children. I know um, it really opened their eyes to the work that we do in the sure. community. And, and I remember my children even saying to me, I didn't realize how many kids were homeless. And I think that's really powerful, even for someone as, you know, my children at the time, they were 10 and, and 4, right? But for them to witness that, right, I think it was powerful. And I think that if more of the community got involved with this, they would see what faces of homelessness looks like, right? Sure. That it's not that one person that you saw um, on the street corner. Um, it's it's everyday people that look just like you and I. Right. So. Absolutely. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, so you shared a little bit about kind of your why when you, you know, and what really cemented this for you when you had that experience with mm-hmm. that young man mm-hmm. and him not mm-hmm. being able to get around because he was hungry and all the, the kind of dominoes mm-hmm. that were preventing him from doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. 
what what's what's your why or wh- where did this kind of come from or where the inspiration come from for the you? need to be of service in yeah. service of others I think I was just mostly raised on that mm-hmm. um, I think it came from my parents uh, when I, when we immigrated here in the 80s we lived in City Heights and in our backyard I mean we didn't speak English my parents didn't speak English but a lot of the folks in our back or in our alleyways were homeless and during Ramadan and mm-hmm. all throughout the year my mom would cook for us and then she would also cook for them mm-hmm. so it was I think cemented in my mentality early on and as I grew up in this community I saw the need I first worked for Scripps Hospital then went down to Catholic Charities and then joined Alpha I think I don't think the need is ever going to go away. Mm-hmm. That's our, that's my community. This is my neighborhood, and the issues that are taking place in my community are are important to me. I'm raising my family here, mm-hmm. um, and then just probably people's story. Mm-hmm. Realizing how difficult it is for people to navigate themselves through poverty. I mean, it's it's heart wrenching, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the stories that we hear, I'm sure you would agree, mm-hmm. it's heart wrenching. And right. um, there's just the need. And I love my city, and I love my town, and I'm going to do anything I can to help the people yeah. who live here. That's awesome. I think that I can probably speak for both of us and a lot of folks that work in, in this particular community or with any vulnerable community, right? That it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. You hear some stories that really shake you to your core. Yeah. There are times that I've gone home crying and I wonder, am I even making a difference, right? But then you see the light in people and you see the resilience and you, you realize that there's got to be more, right? And so... I think there are a ton of success stories, right? Like, and I think that there's not one kind of success. So, of course, somebody getting housed. You know, I've had clients that have gone on to four-year university, and that looks like success, right? Mm-hmm. I've had clients who are applying to law school, and of course, as an attorney, that looks like success <laughs> to me, right? Right. But I've also had clients, that client that I told you about earlier that I gave a sandwich to, he used to call me every week just to talk because he needed someone to vent his frustrations or maybe some of the successes he he had gone through during that week, right? One of the things he told me was that a lot of the times service providers don't just talk, just talk to you, right? Right. Have someone to talk to, to vent to, um, to talk about life with. After he was stably housed, he got employment, he is really successful now, he stopped calling me for, for those weekly meetings, right? And I think that's empowerment right like that you have that you feel empowered to go through all of the life's obstacles on your own now um and i think that looks like success too and i think that is often um overlooked right what that looks like when people become self-sustaining and how powerful that is so yeah we hear some terrible terrible stories all the time some like i mentioned i have to cry before i go home right so that i don't bring that energy home to my family um there are stories that i don't even feel comfortable sharing of what i've heard right and what that trauma is like but then there are stories just like that that such a simple thing right of feeling empowered enough to to walk through life without a crutch and i think that really is what moves us in in doing this work and i can't imagine like doing anything else right and I, I think there's a real hunger and need in the human being for love, right? Mm-hmm. And for connectivity. Mm-hmm. It's innate in us. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what makes us human, right? Mm-hmm. It's innate yeah. in us to want to help each other out, to right. have a sense of community and a sense of belonging. Right. And right. we can't just simply ignore the people who are experiencing poverty and trauma in right directly in front of us or in our backyards. It's our community. It's our town. We have right. to come together. We mm-hmm. have to address it together as a collective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I I admire you guys a ton. I mean, you guys are making a difference and it's admirable. And I know you're not doing it for the accolades, 
Um, but you're making a difference. It's special. And there's people out there that are probably a lot of people that you don't even know by name or even, you know, would recognize that have been changed because of your efforts or the people you've touched. And then they go out there and extend that to other people. And I, and I think it's amazing. And I think you're kind of real life superheroes. So I appreciate you. And I know that you're making a difference and I hope anybody out there listening to this or that sees this today um, gets a little bit of something else, whether it's just some motivation and inspiration or some information on how they can take next steps to help out. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks um, for having thank us. It's you been so a real treat for, for me us. and I appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you.